0: You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 148. Today, we're talking all about how to hack possibility. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So, how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 1.2 million downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. All right, hello, James Wedmore here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another fabulous episode of the Mind Your Business Podcast. Got a very special treat for you today, a guest interview all about a topic that excites the heck out of me, hacking possibility. And really looking at what do we think is possible? Like, where is the boundary between where we think possibility is and isn't? I want to encourage you in this episode to find that boundary for yourself. Like, to really dig deep and see where does this go from... I believe it's possible, I know it's possible, I can do this, I'm capable of that, to a place of, ooh, but I don't know about that, where is that line for you, or is there a line at all, something to ponder today, but first, couple of quick updates for you, appreciate all the feedback, very nice comments and reviews coming in both on itunes and sending me private dms on instagram i really appreciate that so if you want to get in touch whether it's about asking me a question you want to get featured in a future episode you are requesting a topic we take requests here dj james in the house head on over to instagram send me a dm and let me know what your question is we have a ton of listener question bonus episodes coming up. And we might just feature you, so thank you so much. In other news, have you just seen this movie by Darren Brown on Netflix yet? Holy cow, it will change your life. The movie is called The Push, and it's by a gentleman by the name of Darren Brown. Now, I've been a huge Darren Brown fan for years. He is really big in the UK. He is considered a mentalist a stage performer and he dabbles in everything from hypnosis to NLP mentalism and everything in between there and his stuff like if you want to just geek out go check him out on YouTube he just has some of the neatest stuff in the world but he just did a special for Netflix around a question a question that said could I influence a person To murder somebody else. And you know. Murder is like the ultimate awful thing. And I'd invite you to watch this. Now I've encouraged some friends and family and team members to go watch it. And most of them come back and they are very disturbed by the film. And they don't exactly like it. And so I'm going to put that warning on it. Is it's not necessarily something you're going to love and enjoy. But it is something that's going to help and really help adjust your perspective, shift the way you look at things and the way you think about things. Because ultimately, there is a theme in that movie about how much someone's behavior is affected by their environment. But you don't really walk around feeling like that, do you? You don't really get up in the morning and, say, boy, this environment is really affecting my behavior today. <laughs> no, but we see it. We see it in this film because he creates this stage of, I think, over 200 actors that are in on this basically joke of this one guy's life. And so it's like The Truman Show. I mean, that's why I'm like really tripping out about this. I love The Truman Show. It's one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen that in a while, go rewatch it. Because if you remember in The Truman Show, like he's living out his life with clueless to the fact that everyone around him is an actor or actress that are in on it. And that's basically what's happening here. But what they're doing is they're creating scenarios that will cause him to act, behave, and feel a certain way. And I don't want to give away the film, but one of the things that they do is they say, you know, we need to put some pressure on him, make him feel a little uncomfortable and a little powerless. So what they do is they invite him to this event with a ton of people in the room and they forget to mention that this is a black tie affair. So everyone in the room, like just imagine showing up to a room for an evening and everyone is like dressed to the nine black tie looking fancy and you're, rather casual all of a sudden like uncomfortable right and so they start to do these things throughout the evening and it's so incredibly fascinating where they can move someone and one of the other things that comes into play is this conversation that we've had before around integrity and self-integrity and when you start to get out of integrity even in just little things like being a few minutes late or fibbing here and you know, making up something there that that can snowball and get out of hand before you even realize it. And so, I would encourage you guys to watch this film, even though you may not like it. <laughs> it should really just get you stimulated. And for bonus homework assignment, this is, as far as I know, he's probably inspired by this concept, Aaron Brown by, uh, I can assume, some real-life experiments that took place, I believe, in the 1960s, which were called the Milgram Experiments. And there's a fascinating movie that's kind of like a reenactment of those experiments also on Netflix called The Experimenter, which is also an unbelievable film, which, again, was based on the aftermath of the Holocaust and this scientist, this social experimenter, who was asking how could a group of people, you know, be put into a situation where that they would have these, you know, horrendous acts that they would carry out. Is it, are they innately an evil person or are they a innately good person? And because of their environment, because of outside pressures and influences, they are compelled and forced to take an act that under normal circumstances, they wouldn't. I mean, this is very fascinating, but it's also very controversial. But here's why I bring this up. Number one You know, it's called the Mind Your Business podcast. So I like to geek out about all of these topics. And I'm sure you're pretty fascinated by them too. But it just goes to show you, or it will when you watch these films, how influential our environment is. And our environment is not just like the town we live in. That's not what I'm talking about. Our environment is the world around us, it's everything, and it's the people in it. It's who you surround yourself with. It's where you work. It's everything. And it plays such a vital role. And it's actually something that we'll get into here a bit today in my interview slash conversation with our special guest about how much energy is wasted when we have to convince the people around us of our dreams. Because chances are, we're already doing a lot of work convincing that monkey mind, negative self-talk of our dreams. And then when you got to do it to the people around you that don't believe in you, it gets tough. And so I want to let you know that I get it. I really do. And it's going to help so much when you surround yourself with the right type of people. And you know, like a Facebook group is great. You know, or like I join a group or something like that, but Something bigger, something more powerful, whether it's, you know, connecting with peers to form a mastermind or it's going to events and conferences or something, you know, surround yourself with people that will not only like not doubt what you're doing, but will doubt why you're not doing it big enough. It's so key, guys. It's so key because it can feel like the world is against you. And if that's how it feels, I get you. I really do because I've been there and I don't want you staying there. Change your environment, change your outcomes. So anyways, great films. I highly recommend you check them out. I don't want to waste any more time here. I want to get into today's interview, shall we? The topic is about hacking possibility and possibility is quite possibly my favorite word in the entire dictionary. I love possibility. My whole life is about that. The person I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would have never even dreamed that the life I'm living and the business I'm running and the people I'm helping could ever be possible. And if you think I got here by accident, like I just stumbled into this, You would be sadly mistaken. So much of the work I have done is to expand that circle, that bubble of possibility to include the things that I now have today. But I haven't stopped there. We recently did our 10-year vision. And I'm putting stuff on the 10 years of where I want to be in 10 years that is scaring the crap out of me. And I've learned today, if I've learned anything, it says, that's good. If it's not scaring you, it's not big enough. Most people, when we talk about this with Shelly today, our guest, we turn away from fear. You know, fear means stop. And that's so the opposite. So I'm going to really encourage you to stay so present during this interview, during this conversation, Shelly says so much amazing stuff, and we have a fantastic conversation that I believe is going to get you to stretch what is possible, to question what is possible, and hopefully get you to a place where you get that for you, everything is possible. So, a little bit about my special guest today. Shelly Varela is a trailblazer and pioneer in the hyper-competitive world of firefighting. For over two decades, Shelly has been blazing trails both literally and figuratively, Hired in 1994 as the first female firefighter in Canada's sixth largest city, she went on to earn the coveted Firefighter of the Year Award twice and is a former traveling member of Firefighters Without Borders, where she and her team were deployed to Honduras. Shelley authored a children's book called Peanut Meets the Pigtailed Firefighter, and she is a TEDx speaker, having done a TED Talk all about hacking possibility. So without further ado, let's play that conversation with Shelly Varela. All right, you guys, I'm here with the one and only Shelly Varela. Shelly, how you doing?
1: I'm amazing. And I'm uh, super happy to be hanging out with you and all of your awesome listeners, by the way, of which I'm one.
0: I know. Thank you so much for the support. I really appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time to be here. I'm super excited. The topic... It couldn't be something that would get me more excited. Hacking possibility. That's really cool. I want to get into your story in a moment, but what is possibility to you? How do you define that word?
1: Oh, wow. I think possibility is more of a feeling than the ability to define it in a word. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like I believe that everything is possible. Everybody says when you get a tattoo, you get a whole bunch. I only have one, and it says everything is possible. Mm. And it's just that idea that you can create your own future, you can create your own reality if you can manage your inner story. Because society, generally speaking, they'll, you know, from the time we're little kids, they're telling us what we can do or what's appropriate. And whether we realize it or not, from the time we're little, little people, that's kind of getting imprinted in our minds. And what happens is we get sidetracked, about what is actually possible because that filter gets in our way. So it's really just the ability to remove the filter or remove the veil and see what is actually possible, which is whatever you can imagine.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Here's a question. Because look, I believe that everything and anything is possible. Do you feel that you still, like, even if you were to put possible into context that you still find yourself limiting yourself in ways
1: I find that I have the ability now as I've gone through life and hacked possibility a number of times I have the ability to catch myself and so that's why I'm really hyper aware when you know like I know that you and I are both Abraham fans and and Mm -hmm. big fans of vibrational alignment and dominant thought coming together so I know now what it feels like when it's like okay it's go time so when I feel that and then I sense myself pulling back and then starting to look at the odds and logic and stuff, I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it now. So it's easier to reframe once you've been through it a couple of times and you've had some successes and you always find what you focus on too. So I'm always looking for people who have done amazing things or you know, stepped outside the box and accomplished something that everybody said, oh, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. So I always store those in kind of the file in the back of my head and keep them for times like that when I am like, oh, let's just take a breath, have a little reframe, and okay, let's go.
0: I like that because what I'm hearing is that it's not necessarily about always living and operating from this place of everything is possible, but developing this discipline and awareness of catching yourself when you start to limit yourself and seeing yeah. that and being able to get out of that.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, it, and I do believe it's kind of a muscle, but you really just have to be conscious of how you feel. Because in that microsecond, in that like little millisecond, your body will tell you the truth mm-hmm. if you're paying attention. But what clicks in like almost immediately is logic, data, what society tells you, something your grandfather said about what you shouldn't be doing when you were two or whatever. But for that microsecond, if you can grab those little moments, you're like, oh, the truth is palpable. And when you feel it, and when you learn to tune into it and recognize what it is, it's your body giving you that sign. It's like, yep, that's it.
0: Yeah, I love that. Let's learn a little bit more about Shelly. You want to share a little bit about your backstory?
1: Yeah, for sure. So when I was growing up, I was the kid that was horribly bullied. I was like hard introvert. And we moved a bunch of times when I was little. And I was always the kid that got picked on and bullied and nobody wanted me around. And I remember thinking like, like, it can't always be somebody else. So I started thinking like, what's wrong with me? And so to be able to not only cope, but to survive in that situation, what I had to do is develop this vast imagination. And, you know, when times were really tough, or when I was getting beaten up in the playground, or whatever, I would go to that place in my mind, I would just close my eyes, and I would be Wherever I would be, you know, horseback riding on a beach or, you know, I'd be doing a drum solo in front of 10,000 people or I'd be winning the shootout goal between Canada, and U.S., at the hockey game, whatever. But what happened that I didn't know what I was doing at the time was I was learning about vibrational alignment and I was doing it as a survival tactic because I had to. But I didn't realize that that skill that I learned as that introverted, nerdy, bullied kid would be the thing that literally would change my life. So when you fast forward from, you know, grade school to the end of high school, my cool factor did not skyrocket. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of I'm still kind of a nerdy kid. I was just a bigger nerdy kid, but the world at that time had labeled me an artist. I did special effects makeup and I, you know, was a writer and a painter and I was just really really artistic and I'm sure that came from the imagination that I developed as a young kid. But when I started getting towards the end of high school, I'm thinking, man, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And the harder I would try to, like, fit the square peg in the round hole and stay in the lane of artists, like, what are the jobs that an artist could do, the more anxious I got. And it was getting worse and worse. And eventually, I landed up on the couch of a friend of mine who happened to be a firefighter. And he was going through a hard time so and i had nothing to do cuz my life was pathetic so i would sit beside him on the couch and he would start telling me these stories of like fires and rescues i'm like dude that's your job like that's your job and so the lesson that i learned there was about labels because i would have never ever known otherwise that i had this natural mechanical aptitude because i was in the lane of artist the world told me i was an artist i thought i was an artist I didn't even fathom looking outside that label. So here I am sitting beside the couch with my friend, Steve, and he's telling me all these stories and I am hanging off his every word and it was probably, I want to say, like six months later, and this became obsessive to me. I wanted to know uh, pump pressures and friction losses, all of these things that, you know, a 20-year-old girl has really no interest. My friends were interested in beer and boys, and I'm trying to figure out the, you know, KPA of, of whatever. So one day he turns to me, and I had corrected him on something, and he says, Shelly, why don't you just apply? And I let it land for a second And this is 24 years ago, and this wave washes over me. And I said to him, Steve, like, that's ridiculous. Look at me. I'm 108 pounds. I'm 20 years old. I have no relatable skills, knowledge, experience. I'm not big enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not smart enough, strong enough, none of that. And there's no girls. There was no girls in the area that I live at the time, like none. And without missing a beat, he turns to me and he said, well, there's going to be a girl one day. Why wouldn't it be you? Mm. And it sucked the air out of my lungs. But even in that moment, I didn't take it on then. I just kind of thought, man, like, I, but I couldn't stop thinking about it all day because it was the first time that I felt that, oh, man, like that excitement. So I went home that night and I'm lying in bed looking up at my white stippled ceiling. And I said three words that changed literally the rest of my life from that moment until this. And those words were, why not me? But the interesting thing was when I heard myself say them, it was literally like, oh, something switched. And I didn't care what it cost in blood, sweat, money, time, tears. It didn't matter. I was going to be a firefighter. I had no idea how it was going to happen. And then I realized, like, I literally have none of the skills required. I have nothing. I'm not physically capable. I don't, you know, I just had nothing in my asset bank. But I realized even if I had all of the skills, if I knew how to drive a truck and first aid and rescues and CPR and all of that kind of stuff, unless I was physically capable of doing the job, then literally nothing would matter. So I thought, okay, I have my starting point. So I called the local university up and I said, yeah, so I'd like to pay to try the firefighter physical (laughs) now. Hmm. Again, at the time, I'm 108 pounds, but I'm a a 10-kilometer-a-day runner, and I'm thinking, well, it'll be hard, but uh, I'll be fine. That, James, is not even kind of what happened. I got my butt handed to me so bad. I walked out of there. It was a half-day physical, pushing, pulling, lifting, all that kind of stuff. And I walked out of there, and I I left my little spirit behind because that was the first time I'd ever felt that spark. And I also realized that I was going to have to let it go because there was no way. There was no way I was going to be able to perform those tasks. So I went home and I basically spent two entire days in my bed bawling like it was on sale. And the third day something switched again and I got pissed off. And I called the university back and I said, yeah, listen, I'm going to need the specs for that entire physical. I want to know heights, weights, distances of everything that needs to be pushed, pulled, lifted, the whole lot. And then I built it in my backyard. And I failed at that. There was blood, sweat, puke, tears. I failed at it day after day after day after day after day. But I still felt like I was going to feel when I got that call. Hmm. And then, 1,162 days later, my phone rang and they said, Shelly Varela welcome aboard as our city's first female firefighter.
0: Wow. So what is that? Is it three, four years?
1: Three and a half years. Wow.
0: Yep. This is amazing. And I will link up in the show notes, but you shared this story in your TED talk, which is another in and of itself, ironically, is a hacking possibility story there, but which I think we can get into. But I want to go back and dissect this, unpack it a little bit, because, you know, the way you described the odds that were against you in becoming a firefighter is like, exactly how if someone said, Hey, you know, James, you should go try out to be in the NBA. That's like how I would describe it. But the difference is that I don't enjoy playing basketball. There's no (laughs) desire there. So I'm like very okay with that. And I'd love to look there. Like the desire was clearly there. Yes. Like the passion, the drive was there were you suppressing the desire at first? Like those months when you were hanging out with your firefighter friend, like it seemed like you almost didn't know that this is what you wanted to do, or it was just the logic was beating down the desire. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I say like, I was so far behind. I thought I was first. I just had no idea (laughs) that this was even possible to the point I had never seen a female firefighter before. I didn't... It wasn't on my radar as even a possibility. It wasn't even something that I imagined imagining until that one day when he said, why don't you just apply? And he was somebody that I respected so much that when I heard him say it, it was like something switched. So I always say like with... A lot of people, they'll look at that quest that they want so bad and it'll be like they want to run a marathon or climb Kilimanjaro or start a business or whatever it is. And they get so excited about the quest, but what happens is the next thing is they switch into logical mind and they immediately try to figure out how that's going to happen. So they calculate you know, the obstacles or challenges in between them and their quest, but what happens is. When you do that, your focus switches and now you're no longer looking at your quest. You're looking at all of the obstacles and challenges in between you and the quest and you find what you focus on. And so that feeling, that vibrational alignment that you have, that microsecond when that truth is palpable dissipates. And what you start focusing on is how hard it's going to be and how crappy it's going to be and you know all of the skills that you need that you don't have. But if you just do that one thing If you just acknowledge that they're there and continue looking at the end goal, that quest and feel what it's going to feel like, then the obstacles and challenges in between you and the goal are the same, but what you do with them is different. How you feel about them is different and how you navigate around them is definitely different.
0: I love that. And I love what you said there. I'm just going to pull that line out. You find what you focus on and it's so true. (laughs) you know, it's that whole phrase, like what you resist persists. The more, the more you see a problem, the more like the energy you give it, the problem either stays there or gets bigger or gets worse. But like, let's look at it like this. Like, let's say there's Shelly back then, 20 year old Shelly. And if I drew a circle and if this circle represented like your realm of possibility, there was a moment in time where firefighter, Shelly being a firefighter was just completely outside of that. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't even like, that's what I'm hearing from you. I'm just kind of repeating back. What I hear is like the desire wasn't necessarily there because it wasn't even a conversation of a possibility that you could become a firefighter. Is that correct? And then the moment a a firefighter, a friend, and someone who had the experience and someone you trusted said, go apply. It's like it your range or domain of possibility just expanded.
1: Yeah. It was the first time I gave myself permission to look at it and it's, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't even doing it consciously. And that's the thing that breaks my heart about so many people because this world is littered with people that are, there's going to be somebody out there that will cure cancer or whatever. And that person is probably sitting in a classroom right now and, and, The thought of going to med school is inconceivable to them, Mm -hmm. so they stop. But everything is solvable if you just really, you know, first of all, align with the thing that's true for you, not the labels the world gives you and not who everybody tells you you should be, but who you really are and what you're curious about and give yourself permission to say, you know what, I'm going to give myself permission to absolutely fail brilliantly. Because what you find is if you're chasing the right thing, if you have that goal that's worth chasing. When you leap, you're not going to fall, you're going to fly.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I love that. And I love that you're also bringing in this alignment and vibration conversation. And you said it real briefly, but what happened to you as a child, you know, from being the introvert, you know, I'm a big introvert, being bullied and all that type of stuff, it was very f- interesting that the conversation perhaps back then was a conversation of what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, which is where we tend to go. But it sounds like in hindsight, it's been really reframed for you as that situation is what drove you to or molded you to or pushed you to a place where you discovered, in your words, vibrational alignment. Does that sound pretty accurate?
1: That's totally accurate. It was the gift that didn't come wrapped in a bow. It was the it was the gift that if I had had the choice in that time, I would have given anything to not be that kid. But like, I believe that all of that stuff happened to me so that I can be the person to show other people their possibility and reframe that inner story, Mm -hmm. because there's so many like entrepreneurs, especially it's inner story versus outer story. But, you know, my background is Native American, so it's kind of like the symbolism of the dream catcher and then the talking stick. So when you manage your inner story, then what you get to bring to the world and what you get to express and what your legacy becomes ultimately becomes limitless.
0: Oh, that's so fantastic. So how would you describe, what does it mean? Well, just define, I guess, what is an inner story?
1: Well, so from the time we're like little kids, we are unconsciously making things mean something. And so my definition of story is that snapshot in time and your perspective in that snapshot and what you make it mean. And those micro meanings that oftentimes we don't even consciously remember, they build this story in our minds about what drives our behavior to accomplish amazing things, or in many cases, keep us stuck. And so when we can find the root of what we believe or why we believe it and we reframe that, then all of a sudden it's sort of like that anxious feeling you get in your stomach when you want something and you feel like you can't have it, you're able to work through that and dissipate that. So then it's almost like lifting the veil and you're like, wow, I can actually see a bunch of stuff that's possible for me now that I never believed was possible before. And it's all from just really reframing what you believe in the world. And because I always use this example, so if you and I are sitting in a car and we're driving down the highway and we come up across a horrible crash, let's just say, your perspective of that crash and mine might be different. I might say, oh, there's, you know, there's a girl, the side window's blown out. She has, you know, a head injury and her pendant on her necklace says, daddy. And you might be sitting beside me in the exact same car. And your perspective might be, wow, like there's glass shattered all over the road. And if these cars don't slow down, someone's going to get really hurt. But it really is the exact same situation. So when we're able to acknowledge our perspective, not as the truth, but as a perspective, then we're also able to shift that perspective so we can use it to our advantage.
0: Mm, That's huge. That reminds me of this example that I've heard a few times of the concept of rain, like when it's raining. And the story is told through three different perspectives. So I don't know if you've heard this before, but, you know, for one, let's say like the event is like, what happens is it, is it rains? It rains one day. Well, for one person that is a farmer and they've been struggling to grow their crops and they've been in a drought, this rain is like a miracle. But on that same day, you know, across town or wherever it's somebody's wedding day. And the rain is, you know, like a curse. And then, of course, there's the third person who had decided they weren't feeling well. So they stayed home from work and they were going to stay inside and watch Netflix all day. So the rain is really this indifferent thing. You know, it's just, it's always such a fascinating example that how much we color the events like the rain as this is the way it is and this is good or this is bad. But how much we, the observer, from our perspective, are coloring it with that meaning or with that story. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example of that because, you know, it's adversity oftentimes presents as a curse, but in many times it's a gift. When I first started, you know, I always say when I finally did get hired... That's when my struggle started because I'm a young girl. It was me and 500 dudes (laughs) and it's 25 years ago. So not super welcome. We'll just say. And a lot of people didn't really want me there. And, you know, I remember coming into work one day and They couldn't see me. I was standing in the room off the kitchen, and they were going, oh, yeah, you know, she only got hired because she's a girl. And it was getting really elevated. And I'm standing there frozen in my tracks, and I'm wondering, do I go in and say something, or do I just pretend I didn't hear any of this? So the next day, I guess my district chief had heard this happen, and he calls me down to the office, and he says, hey, Shelley, so firefighters are like tools in a toolbox. You don't need eight hammers. Does that make sense to you? Mm. And I'm like, I'm just this nervous kid when I'm standing in front of this big, intimidating district chief. And I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, yeah, chief, no idea what he was talking about. But a few days later, we get a call and it's a car that had flipped onto its roof on the highway between east and westbound traffic. And the roof was crushed up. And there was a girl inside and she was hanging upside down by her seatbelt and she was trapped and she was pretty badly hurt. And so the whole time everybody's looking at me, I'm five foot two, I'm 100 and at that time 20 pounds, now strapping 120 pounds. And the comments the guys had been making the whole time were, oh, she's not big enough, she's not strong enough, whatever. But on this particular day, with this woman stranded in this car, we couldn't reach her. And so I walked around the back and there's this tiny little opening in the rear window. And I said to my captain, I said, I can fit in there. And so I slid my helmet off and I crawled inside and I packaged her up on the backboard and slid her out. And as it turns out, she had a broken neck. Mm. So all of those times when people were saying, you're not big enough, you're not big enough, you're not big enough. You know, that analogy that, you know, firefighters are like tools in a toolbox and that you don't need eight hammers. It applies to everybody. Like your advantage is somebody else's adversity and vice versa. And it really just depends how you apply your skills and your knowledge and your perspective.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, and so I want to talk more about the inner story because you say your your struggle, <laughs> a whole new struggle, I guess, started once you became a firefighter. So where in your journey were you shifting your inner story? I have so many questions around it. Like what was your story up until that point? Because I guess it sounded like it was like, I'm an artist was before you started training to apply to become a firefighter. It was like, I'm an artist. Is that the accurate inner story that was predominantly you at the time?
1: I think what happened was I actually just took the mask off and I was so busy, entrenched, kind of like figuring out how to, you know, learn all these new skills that any sort of identity left. I was instead on a quest. I was chasing something and I was excited and I was just, I guess what happened was, you know, that little artist was just now Shelly pursuing a goal like a dog, (laughs) just what do I have to do? But what I realized, though, is the alignment piece is, if you're chasing something that you're aligned with, it really you really become limitless because you just so here's an example during that time i was aligned i'm like i want to be a firefighter i want to be hot in the summer cold in the winter i want to do the job i know it's not going to be easy and literally there was another girl standing beside me at that time saying yeah i want to be a firefighter too so from the outside it looks like we're both the same but if you peel back the onion layers of her story her truth was yeah it's really cool you get a lot of attention and well cute guys Mm -hmm. so you can't see somebody's underneath story. So that's why it's so important When you, whenever you get the opportunity to really observe what are the labels that you're giving yourself and find a way to reframe them to really coincide with how you feel, even if it's unconventional. And in fact, especially if it's unconventional.
0: Yeah. Do you have any tips, strategies, ideas for how someone could uncover their inner story? I feel like it's so... So important, and I don't think people are walking around necessarily consciously aware of the stories they tell themselves. And and I don't know what your thoughts on there. I I feel like it just shows up not as a story, but as that is just the way it is. That's just who I am. That's how the world is. That's how women are. That's how firefighters are. You know, whatever.
1: Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Well, I feel like we are trained to just kind of fall in line, and I, you know, I mean, that's just the way society is. But. To get to what your inner story is, you have to know what it is before you can reframe it. Mm -hmm. And so it really comes down to tuning into like how do you feel like really paying attention to your emotions? Like what gives you a knot in your stomach and makes you like recoil or nervous or whatever? And what makes you excited, even if just for that microsecond? Because in those microsecond moments, like I said, that's where the truth lives. When you pay attention to the things that light you up and the things that suppress you, inside the things that suppress you, inside those things, that's usually where you find the meaning you've given something. And if you can start to pay attention to how you feel, what you really want. I know uh, Elizabeth Gilbert did this brilliant talk. And she in it, she talks about passion. And she says, you know, for many people, passion can seem confronting because You know, some people will say, well, you know, James, I don't know what my passion is. Mm -hmm. And so Elizabeth Gilbert's argument is, "Okay, so if you just press pause on passion for a second, because if you feel like you don't know your passion, you know, you're going to immediately get some resistance inside you. So in front of that comes curiosity. So if you just give yourself permission to explore what you're curious about, then it's a little bit less dominating a little bit less intimidating but also it allows you to tap into but the big thing that i would suggest to anybody is don't lead with logic lead with possibility because you know i was saying earlier when you when you have that moment where you're lit up and you're like oh i want to start a business i want to be an entrepreneur i want to whatever i want to do immediately you go into logical mind and that will tell you well i can't because of this and i can't because of that
0: yeah so the, the logical is just all the, would you say, well, are there also like logical reasons why someone feels like they should do something like almost like the example of the other female that wanted to be a firefighter, but they were for like, I don't know, for lack of better term, superficial reasons versus.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, there's definitely a place for logic. But I think like a lot of the times, those stories about you know who we believe we are and who we're told we are and our worldview. And you know, it's as simple as maybe your parent when you're growing up says, oh, she's the smart one or she's the pretty one. So then going through your life, you just put that in the file cabinet and you're like, oh, well, I'm not the smart one. My sister was the smart one. But if you start with possibility, then what happens is you end up chasing the right thing. And when you're chasing the right thing, by the time you start getting all the pieces in place, then, you know, if you're chasing the right thing and you're aligned and you're getting your community together, once you have all of that in the place, then you can use logic to execute. So logic is, it becomes a tool for facilitating your desire, as opposed to starting with logic and deciding if you're able to do this thing or if yeah. it is possible for you
0: yeah i tell i mean i totally agree I, there's you can have 110 reasons logical reasons why something just won't work why it's not possible and that's why i always like to say f the how for now because that's when your
1: logical <laughs> I love it.
0: starts to kick in okay but and i totally love like really getting uh forget the exact words you use but just like really getting a you know present to your emotions your emotional state and how you feel Let's talk about the big F word, because that's the big emotion that so many people are feeling, especially because most of our listeners are entrepreneurs or they want to start a business or they want to do something bigger than they have been doing. So fear creeps in. What's your interpretation or thoughts there around fear? Like if I'm scared out of my F in mind, does that mean I'm going the wrong way? Does that mean I'm doing something wrong? What are your thoughts?
1: I think it might actually mean you're heading in the right direction. And so here's the thing, people will look at somebody who's in a position that they aspire to. So somebody might look at you James and say, "Oh man, I want to I want to own a business just like him." But then you have all of these things. Well, you know, I'm not comfortable in front of the camera and I don't know what to do and I, you know, I can't manage overwhelm and so all of a sudden they talk themselves out of it. So they'll look at somebody like say somebody who's a platform speaker and they may aspire to speak and they may look at that person and go, "Man, I wish I could do that." They're assuming usually mistakenly that that person has this inhuman amount of confidence and that speaking for that person is easy. And that's not necessarily the case. So with respect to fear, and this is definitely true for me, the goal is to turn the intangible into the tangible. And so what I mean by that is We'll look at something that we're afraid of and we're like, oh man, I don't want to do that. I'll use my TED talk as an example. I was terrified to speak on stage. Mm. I just knew that I had a message that was worth sharing that people needed to hear because I wanted people to go out there and pursue their own possibilities and just be lit up. So. I blatantly said, like I always do, I always speak in affirmations. And I said one day, I'm going to do a TED talk. And then immediately I get this like sick feeling. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm afraid of, I got terrified of public speaking, like next level, afraid of public speaking. And so going back to paying attention to those micro emotions and that the truth is palpable, I observed how excited I got when I said it. And then immediately it was dismissed with, I'm afraid of public speaking, which conveniently is intangible. You can't touch it. So that's where most people will stop. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm just afraid of public speaking. Well, what does that even mean, actually? Because what I realized about fear, you're usually not afraid of the thing you're afraid of. You're afraid of what fear is asking you to look at that you don't want to see. Because Mm -hmm. it's usually raw and it's uncomfortable and it's scary. And it's painful in often cases. So, what I did, and this is an example you can apply to everything. In this particular case, it was my TED talk. I said, okay, like, let's actually, you know, get real for a second. And if there's tears, there's tears, whatever, it doesn't matter. But what am I actually afraid of? Because you can't be afraid of public speaking. You can't touch it or tinker with it or fix it. And so, what I found is my fear. And it's like this in most cases, breaks down into two categories, and I call it roots and wings. So on the root side, that's your practical, tactical skill set, things that you execute on. And your wing side is sort of your emotional, artistic, visionary, creative side. And so in those two buckets, I realized my fear of public speaking on the root side was, okay, I've never done a TED Talk before. So I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to structure a TED Talk specifically. I don't know anything about performance. I don't know anything about voice. I don't know anything about the actual mechanics of doing a talk. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to park that over here for a second. What about the other side? And what I realized is I didn't feel good enough. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel worthy. I was afraid I was going to be judged. All of those like really kind of self-esteem, confidence kind of emotions. But what happened when I took the intangible and made it tangible, it didn't make it easy. It was still things that I had to work through. But on the root side, it's like, okay, I'm going to get a TED coach. I'm going to get a physicality coach. I'm going to write the story. I'm going to structure it, restructure it so it works. I'm going to get a voice coach. And then over here on the wings side, it's like, okay, well, I'm like really afraid. I really feel like I don't deserve to be here. So I went to counseling. I'm like, yeah, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I want to do. I just don't feel like I've earned the right to do it. I don't feel like I'm worthy of doing it. And so chunk by chunk, I was able to take, I'm afraid of public speaking, and turn it into things that were literally actionable. When I walked on that stage, was I like, you know, super confident? No, but I was very well rehearsed. I was nervous, but I turned fear into rocket fuel. mm and I turned that fear into courage because courage isn't this, you know, magical potion. It's just doing something afraid.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what most people don't don't get is because most people stop when they feel the fear. And courage happens when you feel the fear and do it anyways. This is awesome. And I love how you've chunked this down here. And I really get, I mean, I love it. It is kind of this like illusion or facade of like, it's a fear of public speaking. And it's like, well, sure, but behind that is this fear for you of being judged for not being good enough. And Mm. I'm curious because you did it, you know, you're still alive, right? You survived. You survived the TED talk. Nothing, (laughs) nothing happened.
1: Um, (laughs) I live to tell about it. Yeah.
0: You live to tell about it, which it is. It's like the same fear of like, you know, if you were going to go like skydiving or climb a tight rope wire over like between two buildings. It's it feels the same, right? It feels like a life or death, but you didn't die. My question is with all the work you did on the internal work and the wing side of it, if someone, let's see, the best way I would ask this is like, if there's a fear of being seen judged or perceived as not worthy enough or not good enough to give a Ted talk and today with the work you did, If someone said that to you, like if someone wrote a comment and said, who is she to be doing a TED talk? Like, how would that land for you? Is it?
1: I would think it's awesome because they're right. (laughs) Who am I to do a TED talk? I did it anyways. And so if I did that, someone literally did say that to me, James, they said, you know, who are you to become a firefighter and who are you to become Mm -hmm. a TED talk? And I said, nobody. That's the point. So during that moment, at the very beginning, when, you know, you have that first thought, I just think it's hilarious now because here's the ultimate irony. I love public speaking now.
0: Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you face the fear, basically.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it was so funny because I thought like, you know, I mean, you know, I'm trying to share my talk in a way that lands with other people. And I had this moment because for basically two decades after I got hired, people would ask me about my story. And for the longest time, I'm shy. I'm I'm still an introvert. And I remember thinking, it kind of feels like intrusive being asked about this all the time, except one day somebody said to me, thank you so much for sharing your story. I see myself in your story. Mm. And I thought there was things that I couldn't do, but now I'm going to go do them. And I realized, oh, man, like my story has nothing to do with me. I am just the messenger. I'm, I'm just the vehicle to show other people their gifts and to show them how freaking awesome they are and to show them that if there's that little flame in you that everybody is just telling you, you shouldn't do this, you can't do that, or here are the odds that that's not going to happen, then you just need to find new people to tell your dreams to.
0: Well, I love this. And what I'm hearing, too, goes back to what you've been talking about, this inner story where like before the TED Talk, it sounded like it was a story of you know, I don't want to be judged or seen or perceived as not being good enough or worthy enough. And it really seems like that inner story shifted to be more along the, let me show people what's possible for someone who, you know, it's almost like, let me do this to show others that someone who didn't believe this was possible or to believe that they are worthy of could do this to help and inspire others. That story is the news story that allowed for this to become easy and now fun and now public speaking is, is ain't no big thing.
1: Right, yeah. Well, it's funny because I've spoken to, since that time, many, many, many TED speakers, and they all say the same thing. But here's the thing, like, I am so not cool. Like, I'm afraid to, like, show you all my bits and tell you, you know, just be raw because my hope is that that serves somebody else. Because that's what courage looks like. It's guttural and Mm -hmm. it's not pretty, but it's just kind of moving through that. So I've had so many people say, well, I couldn't do a TED Talk. And it's like, well, actually, you could. Let me tell you a story. And they're like, no way. I'm like, oh, yeah, the day before I went on, we did a full dress rehearsal. And uh, I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, so I'll share it with you. I had done a junior female firefighter boot camp two weeks before my TED Talk. And I'm not a flag-waving feminist or anything like that. So it was kind of like I, you know, I was interested in doing but I wasn't a girl power thing for me or anything like that. It was just kind of something I had to do and get out of the way before I flew to Santa Barbara to do the TED Talk. And it went so well that I thought, well, maybe I should just add a line or two at the end of the talk about, you know, this other thing that happened. So I did. It was like literally the last line of my talk. And I just threw it in kind of last minute because it was pertinent. So I'm at the dress rehearsal the day before. And I go through the entire talk, bomb diggity. I get to that last line. And I choked up so bad I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And then so for the day in between the practice run and then the actual talk, I'm in a full-blown anxiety attack because, A, I'm doing a TED Talk, and uh, I'm still terrified, and I don't know if I can choke out the last line.
0: Like, were you getting choked up, like, emotionally, or you were like, just, like, stumbling? full-blown
1: crying. Like, it was the weirdest thing, James, because I was, I didn't feel like I had this deep emotional attachment to yeah. doing this junior female firefighter boot camp. And so I got on the phone with some friends, because I'm now the day of the talk, I'm the second last speaker and I'm crying on the phone and I'm saying, listen, I don't know what the trigger is for this last line. Turns out it was the word privilege. Whenever I got to the word privilege, I couldn't speak the rest of the line. And someone said, OK, well, just let's just reframe it. So this is the lesson for everybody. Like it really was as simple as a reframe. They said if you get to the point in the story where you, you don't feel like you can do it. Like, don't have a meltdown. It's a TED stage. Use a different word. So we did that a couple of times. And then when I was standing on the stage in the moment during my talk, I'm like, screw it. I'm going for it. But you'll hear me in my talk when I say the word privilege, I have to stop for a second. But I thought, no, screw it. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going for I it. I love it. It really is. Sometimes it's those emotional triggers that we just, if we're aware of them, then the power is in our court because all it is is just that one quarter turn.
0: Yeah. That's so great. So I've had this question on my mind for a while. And then I know you have five pillars of hacking possibility that I want to quickly get into in a moment. But before we do that, do you feel like there is ultimately like this or is the new inner story that we would want everybody to adopt? Is there a new inner story or is it really like for everyone, it should be everything is possible? I mean, because that sounds like that's just where you're living now today, that that's ultimately your story.
1: It is. The only thing is, I don't feel any different than that kid. Right. I still don't. Right. And so for anybody who's listening to this, don't wait to not be afraid and don't wait to be ready because you don't need to be ready and you don't need to be unafraid. You need to be courageous and you need to start. So just be aware. Your inner story is always going to feel like because it's like, you know, new level, new devil. You start Mm -hmm. to do something new. It's the same fear of the unknown. It's the same What are the pieces I have to hack this time? They might be different than last time.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump into these. You want to quickly share the five pillars of hacking possibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So whenever you're going from, I have no idea how to do this to I've done this and it's amazing. In my experience, the time I, you know, when I got hired, when I did a TED talk, when I wrote a book, I started a podcast, all of those things I had no idea about in the beginning. So some of them are more daunting than others. And the first thing is foundation. So the, I'll give you the five first. They're foundation, alignment, courage, expertise, and support. So, with respect to foundation, it's just so important that you believe in things outside the box. You can call it the universe. You can call it God. You can call it, you know, your inner self. You can, it doesn't matter what you call it. But if you don't believe in something, bigger or outside or a reason outside of logic, because that oftentimes is where that comes to play. And it's sort of, you know, we, I've heard you talk many times about Abraham Hicks and asking it is given. There has to be somebody or something that you're asking, because there is somebody or something that is listening. Mm. that is waiting to deliver to you and waiting to help you or just that all of a sudden you get that mm, that quiet little voice that idea that spark that whatever and if you're too quick to dismiss those gifts you're missing the, the bigger picture so that's foundation next is alignment and I always talk about labels and I'm really big on labels but a lot of times people will think about you know who they are and who they are in the world and who they're expected to be from their parents and They also think about what they want in terms of currency, and I call it value currency. So of all the kinds of currency, we have money, but also currency is pride, peace, excitement, legacy, all of those things. And of all of those kinds of currency, money is the least valuable. So it's really just tapping into what's my currency, like what lights me up, not what am I supposed to do or what do I believe is possible, what actually... Lights me up because when you find that, when you shed the labels and when you tune in to your own value currency, that's where you're going to find your alignment. That little spark in your voice, that microsecond when your spirit is telling you the truth. And you're like, ah, oh, that's it. Because if you can pay attention to when that happens, once you're aware of it, it becomes your barometer for whether you go right or whether you go left.
0: Mm. So I, and then, I, I love that. And I want, I want to go a little deeper there because I, I just posted on Instagram, I think yesterday, a post that a lot of people liked. I got more likes than usual. And it was work harder. And then that was crossed out. And it said work smarter. And that was crossed out. And it said get aligned.
1: Uh, and, it's it. That's it's all there is.
0: And there's a quote I actually mentioned it. So you might've heard it because it was on our, one of our most recent episodes is an Abraham Hicks quote and it, something along the lines of how much people are compensating with action for mm-hmm. a lack of alignment. A um, thousand
1: percent, and, a thousand percent. And
0: so I would like to go a little bit deeper on this and like, because I've had all these people wrote these questions on the Instagram post. They're like, tell me more about that. How do I get aligned? So what are your, a few more thoughts on that for you?
1: Yeah. So again, it starts tapping into that feeling and paying attention to what's happening when it's happening. Because if you allow yourself to run with it, then what happens is it will cost you too much to not pursue it because people are always doing, you know, the checks and balances. It's like, well, I want to try it. But if I try it and it doesn't work and it's like once you allow yourself full permission to be completely like hardcore excited about the thing you're geeking out about, then it costs you too much to not pursue it. And, you know, with respect to that, it's just there are going to be people around you that are going to try and talk you out of your magic. But once you start taking steps and it's just like one step at a time, the next step at a time, then all of a sudden you look behind you and you've traveled a mile and a half down a road Mm -hmm. that you never thought you could, you know, conquer. And there you are.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Okay, what's the next one?
1: The next one is courage, and again, courage under the guise of fear. So, you know, like we were talking about earlier, people will feel the fear, and it's almost like a handbrake, but, you know, our unconscious mind is trained to kind of help us feel safe. That was, you know, useful a thousand years ago when there was saber-toothed tigers in the grass and stuff like that, but it's not really that helpful now, because generally speaking, we're pretty safe, but our biology has not kept up, so will feel that, oh man, I can't do that. I'm afraid of that. or you It kind of feels like you know that knot in your stomach when you feel like you've been sucker punched. And that's usually where people stop. But when you can take those moments, and again, just be aware that you're feeling it because it's fine, press pause and just ask yourself, what is the fear asking me to look at that I'm afraid to see? Okay. You're able to turn the intangible into the tangible. And that doesn't mean it's not gonna be emotionally... Tough like, in my case, I was all of a sudden, I thought I was you know, training to do a TED talk, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting on a couch and I'm talking about my worthiness. But that was the bridge. Hmm. That was the thing that my fear was asking me to look at that was showing up as, oh, I'm afraid of public speaking,
0: yeah. And I just see, especially because most of our listeners are people that have personal brands, you know, and I, I always like say this is one of the easiest businesses to start. And one of the most mentally and emotionally challenging businesses to grow because I get fascinated by this concept of fear in regards to us and our relationship to society and how we're being judged. We're trying to avoid being judged or looked at in a certain light. And it's crazy how much we really like imprison ourselves from that. Yet we also ironically on their side of that, like look up to or idolize or envy or get inspired by those that have been courageous and have broken out of that and, you know, been the exception, but it just stops us. And there's a, there's a movie that just came out that I have to share with people. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Are you familiar with Darren Brown? No. Okay. So he's really big in the UK. But he's been a mentalist, a performer, a magician for years. And he just released a... It's kind of like a documentary. It's kind of like a... It's pretty much a documentary on Netflix. And it's intense. Like, basically, he creates this... Question: Where he gets, you know, could you create an environment that would get an individual to the place where they would actually end up like a good, morally right person? Get them to a place to where they would they could actually murder somebody. Uh, and it's, mm. it's it's very fascinating, it's very crazy. It's based very similar to the Milgram experiments, which were done in the 1960s, which came from this question of like, you know, how did the Holocaust actually happen? How did they carry that out? What he was able to do is. Take somebody in a controlled environment and continue to put him into very uncomfortable positions in a crowd, in a group of people. The first thing he did is he invited him to a, a gala of people, but he intentionally did not tell this individual the dress code so he immediately comes underdressed oh no if you've ever been in a scenario where you're underdressed you immediately feel like uncomfortable and totally and then what he does he continues to like put the pressure on him from there where he has them like you know he does this amazing thing where he has people like everyone points to him and he has to like go up and do this like impromptu speech and how like And I mean it's just brilliantly fascinated at how much fear is ingrained in us from you know from standing out of the crowd and like how much of that desire to just blend in and stay a part of it. So I just think Were they
1: trying to get him to the breaking point?
0: Yes, they were trying to get him to the breaking point. I will not ruin the movie but okay. but it is very fascinating to see the type of things that they did to edge him to that place. It's just I mean it blew my mind. I've shown it to a few people and they're like they're upset cuz it's very controversial you know it's like he's trying to get someone to kill somebody but in a safe controlled environment but it's a very fascinating study on you know social dynamics and the fear that plays a role when we try and when we want to hide and blend in and we're forced to stand out so this is i just think this is such an important piece of the conversation is the fear and the courageousness that is required it's required. And we're trying to do everything that we want to do, like all the goals and people are listening to this podcast because they have goals, they have dreams, they have things they want to do. And we're trying to do it by like avoiding the fear. Let me find the way to do it without feeling any fear.
1: Absolutely. And And especially with entrepreneurs, because now I'm doing a lot of work with entrepreneurs and inner story and messaging story and things like that. And it's the key in the lock. It's kind of like if you picture, you know, this business that you want to have and the lifestyle that you want to have, if you picture it as being sort of the inside of a house and you're standing outside and you can see it and say it's Christmas and there's the tree and, you know, that's the analogy of everything you want in your business and in your life is inside that house and there are people having drinks and whatever. But your story is the key in the lock that lets you in the door to that house.
0: Yeah, so good. That's so good. Okay. I know I went off on a tangent, but what are the next two pillars?
1: So the next one is expertise. So like I said, there is a place for logic. Just don't lead with logic. Lead with possibility. So once we've established that we're chasing the thing that's true and right for us and we're aligned and we've gotten to the root of what our fear is asking to look at and we're working on turning that fear into courage, now we've got everything in place. Now we can apply the logic. Only at this point does the logic come in. So the E is for expertise. And I have something I like to call the triple O. What's the triple O, which stands for the order of operations, which means what do I have to do and what do I have to do first? So to use my analogy as an example, I'm this 20 year old girl. I have no skills, knowledge, experience. There's literally a thousand things I need to learn. I know none of them. (laughs) So what I did was I sectioned it off in pillars, and and I said, okay, I have to learn how to drive a truck, rescue techniques, building construction, and so on and so on, and then just look at each of those pillars, whatever those pillars are for you and the quest that you want to accomplish, and then just reverse engineer each one, you know, one by one, and get to your starting point, which will always look like a task or a habit. And if it still feels overwhelming, all that means is you didn't roll it back quite far enough it should feel like a task or a habit. And so when you look at those pillars, whether they be five, 10, 50, it doesn't matter, you know the immediate things that you have to do and you know how to prioritize your day, your week, your time, just chipping away one by one at those pillars. And it's almost like a grain of sand, a grain of sand, a grain of sand, and then all of a sudden you're standing in the middle of a beach. So that's the expertise piece. Yeah. And then finally, the last bit is support because the truth is we cannot do it alone. And so that would look like either a mentor, a coach, an online course, a membership site, wherever you can get support or a community of people that are heading in the same direction to you where you can geek out and all of your crazy stuff seems completely normal. And so, again, using myself as an example, 20 years old, 108 pounds. And I say to my girlfriends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a firefighter. They're like, uh, uh, that's cool. Beer and boys. <laughs> So every time I would speak my dream, my truth around those people, it just seemed like absolutely inconceivably impossible because they just like everybody just thought I was crazy. However, when I decided that, okay, I'm going to enroll in a college program in in firefighting and I'm going to start learning to take auto extrication courses and cutting up cars and repelling off buildings, all of a sudden I was surrounded by people who My dream was like commonplace. It's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to work an overtime shift so that you can take that auto extrication course. Oh, and by the way, don't forget this other course. So all of a sudden you're being not only supported, but you're normalizing that huge big quest in your own mind. And what that does is it allows you to stay in vibrational alignment because it's normal. It just feels normal. It just feels like, oh, it's Tuesday. I guess we're going to go cut apart a car or whatever it is for you. It doesn't matter if it's recording a video or if it's scripting your you know, your launch videos or whatever. It doesn't matter. But it really is just staying in line with the people that can support you and that can help you up level.
0: This is huge because think about how much energy you spend – trying to convince the people around you that what you're going to do is going to work. and
1: Yeah, and that's why masterminds are so, yeah. you know, so incredibly helpful when it comes to up-leveling. Because here's the thing, there's the intangible things that go into being successful as well. And, you know, you talk a lot about mindset and that's definitely one of them. So if you're in, you know, James Wedmore's mastermind, then all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who think like you need to think, who act like you need to act and who are, you know, prioritizing the way you need to prioritize to get that thing done.
0: Well, you you know, when you have a dream, you have a goal, you've got your negative self-talk that little monkey mind that's going to start talking yourself out of talking you out of it and you know you have to combat that which is what we've been talking about but then when you have to do that with the friends the family the neighbors whatever it's so much energy and when you go to something like a supportive environment like a mastermind it's the exact opposite like they're showing you that you're not thinking dreaming big enough and that's why it's just it's so powerful so this is huge i want to recap it really quick the five pillars of hacking possibility faces foundation alignment courage expertise and support and this is so huge and i've just i've loved this conversation shelly so much so thank you because one thing that's really come up is me looking back at my journey and also looking back at like where my next steps are but i remember let's do this if I get curious at like where like a listener or where maybe you or an outsider, how they perceive me and where I'm at, you know, chance they could say, oh, he's, you know, he's got a podcast and he's got all these videos and the, these courses and a team and an office and he's doing this and he's doing that and blah, 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 you know, and it's high quality this and fancy this and da, da, da. And then we get into those stories and, oh, well, I could, I want to do that, but and I couldn't do that. But I remember back to a very specific moment in time. Where this, where I am now, was a dream. It was a goal. That was, this is, I'm living today what I wanted back then. And I remember seeing some guru, some big time guy at the time, getting an email from him and opening it up. And it's a video on his website and seeing how nice the video was, how professionally designed the website was and all the stuff he had to offer. And I remember telling myself, ugh, I guess it takes all of that to be successful, mm. which means, what am I even doing? And there was like that moment of like, pack it up, kid, because this is not possible. And
1: well, you know what I love about you, though, James? You always share that stuff. And so that's the gift. Like, that's actually why I started my podcast, is because the power of. Story from somebody like you who's in a position where, like you said, you know, there's so many people looking up to now you and saying, Man, I would like to be like that Wedmore guy. Like, he's just incredible. And then when you hear Wedmore say, Hey, let me share a story with you. I wasn't always like this because here's the truth a lot of people who are in those positions won't share those stories. And it's the binding agent between people. And it's actually the fulcrum between people saying, I can't do it. I'm nothing like James Wedmore. I could never do that. But when people hear you tell your story, what happens is there's like this magical flip. And instead of saying, I can't do that, immediately they said, man, he's just like me. And if he's just like me and he did that, then what's possible for me So, you know, thank you for being vulnerable enough to share your story because so many people on their entrepreneurial journey, it's like you do get your teeth kicked in a little bit along the way. And it's people like you that are brave enough and vulnerable to say, hey, that was me too. Let me tell you a story. And it's just not only comforting, but inspiring and empowering as well. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I do feel like when someone doesn't share that, the journey and the, the struggle and what it really took and internally what was going on with them. We just assume that they've always been like this. That that's just, you know, what they were probably born, came out of the womb, like, you know, multimillionaire, successful, like yeah, right, right out of the gate. You know, this is just my factory setting. And that, that can make it a very daunting, intimidating, unobtainable thing. And so always remember that with whatever you're looking, if you're looking to somebody else, like I want that, and blah blah blah. There's always the what's under the surface. The underneath the iceberg, you know, the under the ocean, the backstory, the behind the scenes that it paints a fuller picture and it's something to always look at. So Shelly, really quick, because you mentioned your podcast, tell us a little bit about where we can find more and our listeners who want to learn more from you. Where would you recommend they start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My podcast is called The Yes Effect and you can find me online at com, or I live everywhere on social media at Shelly Varela. It's spelled S H E L L I V A R E L A. Cause my mother thinks she's funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can find me anywhere online at Shelly Varela, or you can check out the yes effect podcast.
0: And we will make sure to link that up on the show notes for you guys. So be nice and easy before we wrap up. I want to ask you now, what is next for you? What is the next possibility that you're hacking?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you so much for asking it. I said to my fire chief the other day, because we're doing all this stuff with girls. I said, you know, chief, at the end of my days, being a firefighter will be the thing I'm most proud of. It will not be the thing I'm most known for. My job, and I believe my position on the planet is to help people learn their own possibility and and really be able to chase their dreams, their hopes, their desire, without that filter of other people's fear. So for me, that looks like I'm launching my course in May called Yes University. I'm really just looking to help people reframe their inner stories, and especially entrepreneurs with the messaging they put out there, because... You know, Simon Sinek says, nobody cares what you do until they know why you do it. And when you get your messaging right and reframe it with your inner story, it's like the dream catcher and the talking stick. You become unstoppable. You literally have no competition, even with yourself.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you again, Shelly, so much for taking the time. Again, for our listeners who want to learn more, head on over to our show notes. Make sure to check out Shelly's podcast as well. The Yes Effect, right? Correct. I love it. I love it. And thank you again so much for being here.
1: James, you're awesome. I love you to bits and thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, you guys, you heard it here. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you on another episode of the Mind Your Business Podcast. Take care. Did you know 8 out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I want to show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life